So Money Episode 865, Sarah Falah, author of The Next Millionaire Next Door. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. One of the things that we, and one of the ways we think about financial management is that it is a job. It's a job that you might, you know, that we don't apply for and we're all in, um, but we have different and, and unique strengths and weaknesses when it comes to that. We are in conversation with Sarah Falah. She is the daughter of Thomas Stanley, who co-wrote the iconic book, The Millionaire Next Door. That book went on to sell millions of copies. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for months. And in the book, he and his co-author revealed what real millionaires actually wore, what they drove, where they lived, a lot of surprising statistics, because ultimately what we discovered is that millionaires live pretty frugally. But do those messages in the book still ring true today? Do the millionaires of today behave in the same way as the ones Thomas studied 20 years ago. We're about to find out. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Sarah Falah is the author of the new book, The Next Millionaire Next Door. As the 20th anniversary of The Millionaire Next Door is upon us, Sarah worked with her late father to do research and development for an updated version of his book. And with her psychology and data background and his extensive experience researching millionaires over his career, together they've created an outline for what is now the next millionaire next door. Here's Sarah Falah. Sarah Falah, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to dive into your book, which is The Next Millionaire Next Door, a continuation uh, to the book that your father famously wrote, uh, The Millionaire Next Door, Thomas J. Stanley, your father. You started the research with your father before he passed away. The first question is, you know, given the, all the time that's been, that's passed now, 1998 was when The Millionaire Next Door came out. It was a bestseller. Fast forward to 2018, when your book came out, what are the differences in how millionaires are living their lives? Or is it just more of the same? Yeah, you know, I think that what, there are a lot of differences, you know, and particularly around technology and kind of how we get information and share information. And those things do affect, you know, our ability and millionaires' ability to, to build wealth over time. I think that's probably the biggest change in terms of what we see, um, you know, challenges to, to individuals building wealth. But really, those behaviors, those same behaviors that allowed people to become millionaires back in the 90s or 80s um, are the same ones that are required today. And and again, I think what makes it different are the different challenges with, that we have, whether again, we're talking about social media or even, you know, costs and things like that in terms of healthcare and education. Social media, I think, is really making um, an impact on how we express our financial choices. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. do you think that that's a po- it's been positive or negative for the most part? You know, I think there, I, I guess there are two ways to look at that. And one kind of, if you think about it from the, you know, f- um, uh, retire early community, 
community, the financial independence community, they're sharing stories about how it actually is um, possible to amass wealth quickly, for example. So that that's a great way to learn, uh, you know, different tips and tricks and kind of lifestyles that it would take to become wealthy. I think there's a lot of sharing out there that's really, really useful. I think from um, a consumer perspective, it's really a challenge to be engaged in things like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and not somehow be influenced by what you're seeing others doing, driving and wearing. Um, you know, I, just as an example, a spring break or something like that, you know, in the springtime, where everyone's going on vacation. You're, you see that. Even if you used to hear about it from your neighbors, um, now you can see those fabulous vacations mm-hmm. um, all over uh, social media. How do you define millionaires in, in your book? Is Because, you know, there's other... There's a lot of ways you can calculate that. Is it does it include the equity in your home? Does it include, you know, an inheritance? Like what what is a millionaire? Yep. So we define that based on uh, um, net worth, which is, you know, assets minus liabilities. We do, uh, it, depending on the time and, and things like that, you know, we can look at equity in the home. We typically take that out. Um, we typically also, when we look at wealth accumulation at data points, for example, we really are trying to understand kind of that success related to your income and your age. And so that's why we look at net worth instead of something like how much you're making and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, You interviewed 600 of these millionaires for your book, and you found that resilience and perseverance were the key traits for building wealth. Were you surprised by that? Or was that given, you know, also the fact that we are living, like you just said, in a world where it's a lot harder in some ways to, to sort of feel like in control of your financial path? Yeah, so I think that resilience piece is is a great one to talk about here because, again, we know that the math works, right? Mm-hmm. So the math related to how we build wealth over time works. It's just our behaviors and our psychology that that often get in the way. And so what we found, you know, again, consistent with research from the past decades looking at millionaires was that that resiliency, that ability to, to overcome obstacles, whether we're talking about uh, in terms of building a business or, again, in wealth accumulation, that tends to be something that, that again, millionaires really have in spades. I had an author on the podcast one time, Angela Duckworth, who's written the book called Grit. And yeah, I love that word. I think that also captures what you found about resilience and perseverance that, that, that sort of can do itness, that mindset is, is uh, paramount, whether you're trying to manage your money well, um, build a business, run a marathon, exactly shows up in a lot of our challenges. Absolutely. And I think too, even working with like, let's say your spouse on finances, um, you know, that can be a real challenge. And so that takes perseverance and resilience as well. So even kind of one of those um, smaller aspects of financial management, you've really got to persevere and make sure that each of you are on the same page, devote time to um, communicating. And that can take a, a lot of resiliency for sure. I'd love to go through some of the bullets from your book that highlight the strategies that really rich people practice every day. And some of them, listeners, including me, might find surprising. So Mm -hmm. one is that only 25% of millionaires spend more than $100 for a pair of jeans. 
Mm, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I recall this from your father's book as well, where he outlined some really interesting price points that we wouldn't have never, we, we just think like millionaires are spending big bucks on clothing and, and uh, you know, accessories and travel, but actually they're very f- kind of frugal. Right, right. Yeah, expenditures. So, yeah, it's a pattern, right? It's a pattern of behaviors that they exhibit over time. So it's not just that one purchase of, you know, whatever it might be, their car or their home or something like that. It's really that consistency in terms of their consumer behaviors. So again, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about sunglasses or furniture or uh, again, you know, back to cars and shoes and things like that, um, they, they tend to be frugal. And that's just a consistent pattern of behavior over time. You also found that a majority of millionaires, 70% over the past 30 years, reported being raised in an atmosphere of love and harmony and often having parents that encouraged their success. And so this begs the question, you know, right now Forbes just released their um, self-made billionaires Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, cover with, uh, I think it's Kendall Jenner on the cover mm. or Kylie Jenner. I can't, I can't keep track of it. I cannot keep up with the Kardashians. Okay. One of the, one of the Kardashians. And there's a lot of controversy because, well, is she really self-made? She came from wealth. She came from like a supportive family. Um, and so do you find that millionaires beget millionaires? Yeah, that's a great question too. I think, you know, there's certainly there that love and atmosphere, that, that love and, and encouragement that comes from families is what allows millionaires often to be successful. But that's not necessarily saying that they're the only ones that become successful, right? Um, we've seen in the research that we've done that parents that are really focused on helping their, again, when you're at home as a, as a teenager or adolescent, um, really focusing on helping them understand the kind of careers that they could have, demonstrating good money management behaviors. Uh, those are the ones that come, become financially successful in the future. And it doesn't take a millionaire to really sit down with your children and help them understand the universe of things that they could do with their skills and things like that. So while certainly it helps, uh, you know, that would be naive to say that, you know, having some a parent that was wealthy couldn't help, but it's really helping the child become responsible, helping them understand what their skills are. Um, And again, demonstrating good money management skills to those children. That's what really leads to success in the future. Mm -hmm. I found it also encouraging. um, One of the things you discovered was that knowledge about finances is critical to building wealth. I think we all can agree with that. But the discipline is really what plays a bigger role in your ability to save and spend, which I think is, again, and we touched on this a little bit, but it's a reminder that even even if you came from a background that was not that that didn't teach you about money, right? Most right. of us, that's that's most of us. A lot of us didn't learn about money yeah. growing up, whether it was in school or at home, but that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You can still be successful if you want for it. Right. Absolutely. And I think that that sort of that discipline and, and uh, behavioral side of it comes into play once you have that knowledge. So what do you do with that knowledge? You know, we can all think of, for example, maybe folks that we've worked for that were very knowledgeable about a certain area, but they just didn't have the behaviors to become successful. Um, so, you know, starting with knowledge is one thing and we can acquire that over time. But certainly, again, um, you know, exhibiting those behaviors where you're living below your means, you're you're being becoming confident in your decision-making, those are the kinds of things that can help you be successful over time. 
Your company is called Data Points LLC, and there you your team looks at ways to analyze behavioral finance and and then to come up with some of the tools to help us be better money managers. What's your focus right now? What do you see as sort of a new area for research? Something that's sort of under under analyzed that could be very helpful in the, down the road. Yeah, you know, right now we're studying readiness for change. That's one of the the key areas that we see that that's really impacting people's ability to, you know, get on a different path when it comes to finances. So we're studying things like, um, again, openness to making a financial change within your life. Um, also, you know, your ability and your sort of efficacy, if you will, nice psychology term there, but your, your ability to make a change once you've decided to make one. Um, and so, those are the kinds of things that can hold us up or, or keep us from actually, you know, going down a better path financially. And so we're starting to um, create assessments around that readiness for change concept. We've got one on our website. You can take it um, and really trying to help, again, help advisors, certainly, but individuals as well understand that component, that sort of behavioral psychological component when it comes to improving your finances. Let's transition to uh, learning more about your financial background, Sarah. I mean, obviously, growing up with a father who wrote The Millionaire Next Door, you probably were (laughs) privy to more financial knowledge than um, most young people. But share a story about, you know, maybe a moment or an experience that really exemplified what it was like growing up in the Stanley household. That's a great question. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my father was a survey research uh, expert. And, and marketing professor. So his focus was really understanding individuals and, and populations in terms of their characteristics. And so, you know, one of the earliest kind of experiences I had in that in that realm was when he was conducting survey research for millionaires um, and really I was sitting at the kitchen table, kind of sorting through all of his surveys and, and stamping them and sending them out. That was sort of one of the earliest experiences I had with uh, that data collection side of what he did. Um, from, a, from a money perspective, you know, I, I recall very clearly, you know, having lemonade stands and him helping me go sell Girl Scout cookies, like helping me understand the benefit of being able to express yourself um, and, and being able to, you know, again, sell what you have if you will, because it's a skill that you have to have no matter what kind of job that you're in. Our sponsor, Chase, uh, being at Financial Literacy Month now in April, this this question was important for us. We really want to know how you gain most of your financial knowledge. But maybe you also had a mistake that you learned along the way too. Is there a story there? Yeah, you know, I'll say in terms of some of the bigger mistakes I've made was being influenced. I'm going back to that concept of influence, being influenced by some of the folks that I started working with early on in my career. Um, I, you know, I, for example, I recall very clearly going to um, a three-year-old birthday party that looked more like a wedding reception. Uh, It was the first one that I had ever been to um, that one of my coworkers had for her daughters. And, you know, coming home and thinking that that's exactly what we needed to do for our children. Um, so we had this, you know, big, big affair, if you will, and um, just kind of had to sit back after that happened and recognize that not only that was a little over the top for a three-year-old, but um, also was kind of setting us back financially as well. Three years old. Oh, my yes. gosh. You know, <laughs> was that your first child? 
It was my first. Yeah. The rest of them haven't had anything. See, I think we all go through that because with my second, (laughs) with my daughter who just turned two, we literally just celebrated with within the family. Four of us, we got cupcakes, didn't have a party. I didn't do any of the like bouncy castle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, Exactly. But yeah, with your first, you do go bonkers a little bit and then Absolutely. you learn and you reel it in for the for yeah. number two. So that's why the, the second child's always, <laughs> I wonder. Exactly. They're like, what, did, what do I get now? What um, do I get? She'll sloppy but, seconds. No, uh, you know, the second child is when you, you know, you, you do it the right way. That's right. That's right. And I think, but again, you know, thinking about that, I have to remember that no matter kind of what situation I'm in, whether I'm, again, looking at social media or thinking about what my neighbors are doing, you know, we're influenced by what others, you know, how others live their lives. And in order to reach our financial goals, we really have to remember what those goals are and and really ensure that we're on that path, the right path that that will allow us to be financially successful. Would love to ask also about your thoughts regarding women and money, because, uh, you know, it's, it's no secret women are living longer. We have a lot of gaps to fill, whether that's the income gap, the investing gap, the confidence gap. And so when it comes to achieving, say, millionaire status, uh, which I do think a lot of women aspire to, to reach, what is your advice? You know, I think my advice is to really focus on um, your strengths when it comes to different things in the financial realm. So one of the things that we and one of the ways we think about financial management is that it is a job. It's a job that you might, you know, that we don't apply for and we're all in. Um, But we have different and, and unique strengths and weaknesses when it comes to that. And I think for women really understanding where your strengths lie and then improving on the things where you feel like you're, you're, you're not quite there. Um, that's the most important piece because again, it's the behaviors that will trip us up versus knowledge or, um, again, the math, the math works. It's just understanding where we fall in terms of the strengths and weaknesses with relation to that job of financial management. I love how you put that in the context of a job. I think that really sets it in a way that, okay, all right, got to just put in my hours, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> Do right. my work. You, yeah. Whether you let, you know, and again, it may not be your favorite interest area. You know, this, this may not be, um, you know, in terms of values, money may not be something that, you know, you view as sort of a, a value for yourself. But again, there's financial success that allows you for freedom to do other things. And so looking at it like a job can help you understand where am I falling short and, you know, where am I really, where am I really strong? Maybe you could be like your side hustle, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you're, you're profiting from a passion, which is money. I love that. That's right. Um, Tell us about your personal habits around money. You know, Mm -hmm. you've done a lot of research and you can talk about what other people are doing to help them keep uh, their, their wealth in check. But when it comes to your money management, what's been working for you? That's it. Yeah. So it's funny. uh, And my husband and I laugh about this quite a bit. So I study individuals that are really great at money management, but I wouldn't put myself um, out there as a, um, as a personally, a financial expert, if you will. I, um, and so, you know, if you are someone like me, then, then maybe these tips will help. But, um, you know, one of the things that, that I have to do is again, recall those goals. So for our family, it's starting a business and 
being in a situation where, you know, neither one of us now, you know, we're relying on this business to be successful, recalling that as a goal when I'm you know, trying to to determine the kinds of things that I'm going to buy or the kinds of vacations we might go on. That's to me is super useful again. And, and it helps me, it reminds me why we're doing the things that we're doing. Um, and again, I think too, I've had to build some knowledge in areas that, that were a little bit outside of um, maybe something that I'm interested in uh, and uh, finding resources that make money fun, that make money interesting um, has, has been really useful for me as well. So I'm definitely not the personal finance expert, more of the psychologist and the expert in that realm. And so those have been some of the things that have helped me. Well, more than advice, people need therapy around mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. I find, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and of course, advice through therapy. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. And talking about our goals and talking about, you know, being mindful, again, mindfulness, I think is so important, particularly when maybe you've spent your life, um, you, you know, again, not really thinking about the things you're buying or attending to a budget or thinking about your long-term goals being calm and in the moment and thinking about what you're doing related to finances is something that's helpful as well. Did you always know that you wanted to follow in your father's footsteps, that you wanted to pursue a path where you were working with people and trying to dissect kind of our financial behavior? Um, when, when you did realize you wanted to do this, what, what was the aha moment? Mm, yeah, so I, I for the, my early career, definitely wanted to stay away from what my father was doing. He sort of had his own, you know, obviously he was very, you know, familiar or famous, if you will, with his book and with the work that he did. So that was something that I didn't really want to ride coattails. I wasn't interested in that. I really was focused on um, industrial psychology. That was my focus and, and sort of my early career, if you will. The aha moment came when he had a real health scare back in 2009, I recognized that, you know, you know, all of the work that he had done, it was actually very similar to what we do as industrial psychologists, which again, was looking at what it took to be really great at financial management. And so that's when I began to, you know, see that there was this overlap between the both, you know, my expertise and his work. And that's when I began to sort of bridge the two together. Well, the book again is called The Millionaire Next Door. And this is now 20 years since your father's initial book. And we want to wrap here with some so many fill in the blanks. Is that okay? Is that cool? Oh, yeah, that's great. Okay. Yeah, so absolutely. don't overthink it. I know you're a thinker. I know you're an, an, an analyst. But <laughs> How do you know that? Yeah, right. <laughs> First thing that comes to mind. So, well... This is kind of dovetailing the the topic of the book, but if I, so finish the sentence, if I won the lottery tomorrow, if I became a multimillionaire tomorrow, the first thing I would do is pay off everything that you need to pay off, save it, and then go on vacation. Yeah. (laughs) Even the mortgage, right? Even though- Just get it all done. Just get it all out of it. Then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, Where would you travel to? Uh, I'd go to Spain. Yes. I don't know why. Just let's go to Spain. I like Barcelona. that. Yep. 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 Barcelona. Um, a little Madrid, a little mm-hmm. Mallorca. Yeah. There's so yes. much in Spain. It's so multicultural and diverse. Absolutely. I love it. Yep. All right. The one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is hobbies. Hobbies are my therapy. So it's it's either pottery or, you know, 
going to, to, to chat with someone through. So that's, yeah, definitely hobbies. Pottery wouldn't, that mm-hmm. is, there's a, in Brooklyn, there's a couple of uh, places where you can go and like, they give you wine and you can make some, mm-hmm. that's for mm-hmm. the beginners. I think, I think that's more for the wine too than it. Yeah. Else. It's throwing on that pottery will that definitely <laughs> takes your mind off of life for sure. I love it. Okay. When I splurge, like really go for the jugular, the one thing I am unapologetic about spending my money on is. I guess my children. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't spend on myself. I would rather spend on them. It's a bouncy castle. And that's right. I know. I know the bouncy (laughs) castle and the birthday party. That's right. Um, Quick anecdote. So I used to watch a lot of Who's the Boss growing up. Um, Mm. Did you ever watch that? Uh, well, a little bit, a little bit. Much. So yep, yep. there's just this one episode that that stands out where the, the, um, Tony and Angela are like in competition with a neighbor for over like a child's birthday party. They mm-hmm. wanted to have the best party in the neighborhood, and Tony asks Angela, Angela, how much are you willing to spend on this birthday party? And she said, a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm watching this as like an 11 year old, thinking, right, how much is that? Like, oh, that sounds like a really big number. And now right. today, as a 40 year old that's a very big number. exactly absolutely so in, the, yep. in the 90s it was probably like a million dollars exactly yeah. yep but it but it is true that's what that that is the extent to which i think some new york families have gone uh all right when i donate i like to give to blank because you know typically we give to our church or to an organization here uh, near where we live that donates and uh, to homeless and has an uh, outreach it's called must ministries here in marietta georgia and you know they do a lot of great work they uh, feed and and house a lot of folks that that need it cool and the one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is this is interesting because I, I I feel like you didn't nothing mm. was left untaught but right. perhaps was there one thing that you wish you had learned more about Oh am I overthinking I'm starting to overthink aren't I <laughs> um, You know I think that money doesn't solve everything uh, I, I not, not that I didn't hear that but I wish I had maybe internalized that 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 there's a lot and and so I think um, you know understanding that. Um, you know, money allows you freedom versus kind of the other way around. Mm -hmm. I'm Sarah Fala. I'm so money because I know what it takes to be successful. You do. Whether I, whether I do it or not, I I certainly know what it takes. Oh, I think you're doing it. (laughs) I think you're doing it. Sarah, thank you for joining us and thank you for continuing the great work and continuing the legacy of your incredible father, Thomas Stanley. Your book is called The Next Millionaire Next Door on bookshelves everywhere now. It's such a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks so much to Sarah for joining us. You can follow her on Twitter at Sarah Falaw, F-A-L-L-A-W. The Next Millionaire Next Door is available wherever books are sold. And you can visit her company, Datapoints, at datapoints.com. All this information is back at somoneypodcast.com, where you can listen to the audio, download the transcript, and also send me a question for the Friday episodes by clicking on Ask Farnoosh. It's very simple. Just click on that little button. You can type in a message. You can leave a voicemail. You can also follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi, where I'm constantly answering your money questions there. Direct message me a question if you'd like for it to come on the show, or if you've got something really quick you need an answer to. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money.